This week on Beyond Stillness, Stories After Stroke. Guest, Victoria Moran from Riverbend Stroke Program at Peace Health Medical Center, shares her story as a mother, daughter, and caregiver. She offers insight on the many ways love shows up throughout the recovery process. Thank you for joining us for part one, Victoria Moran's story. Hello and welcome to Beyond Stillness. Stroke offers a powerful, life-changing shift in perspective. Each colorful memory creates a parable for life's greater teachings, a compass for journeys ahead, and inspired wisdom for unique growth. This radio show, Beyond Stillness, offers an hour of pause for storytelling and reflection. Ultimately, Beyond Stillness is a welcoming environment that reveres the moment beyond strokes paralysis. Still moments unite humanity and divinity. I'm your host, Molly Bucola. Today's guest is Victoria Moran from Eugene, Oregon. She's an artist, mother, wife, daughter, and works at Peace Health Sacred Heart Medical Center at River Bend in Springfield, Oregon for the River Bend Stroke Program. Her mother suffered a stroke in 2010, and since then she's devoted her whole professional life to the stroke community. Victoria facilitates the River Bend Stroke Survivor and Caregiver Support Groups in the Eugene Springfield area. Today's theme is love has many faces. Before we begin, let us hold space for just that love and its many faces. We call to mind the many faces that we've encountered in our lives and the various ways that people have shown up in order to share their love and support maybe through listening, through caregiving, through cleaning, guidance, laughter, and offering thanks for the way that love swirls throughout our lives, our hearts, and our minds. In the fall of 2010, I received a call from my brother, Ron, that mom had a stroke and was in the hospital four hours away. Mom had been visiting her elderly aunt at a nursing home. When we arrived at the hospital, mom was hysterically confused and the hospital staff seemed just as confused. At first, EMT thought mom was drunk and didn't need to go to the hospital. My mom doesn't drink, not a drop. Then they thought she was a resident at the nursing home. So they assumed it was just another day in the life of a resident. Needless to say, a lot of time passed and my mom did not receive the correct care. My great aunt was insistent that mom was in fact a teetotaler. 
The EMT then reluctantly took mom to the hospital. I was told later that the confusion continued even after she arrived at the hospital. The ED was told she was a resident of the local nursing home. That assumption cost mom appropriate care. When I walked into her, into her hospital room after a tense four-hour drive, I found mom frantically trying to communicate. She was touching her mouth and crying and kept saying, potato, then shaking her head no. My brother, Ron, and I stood there shocked. I couldn't move for a moment. I was frozen. I had never been that frozen before in my life. It felt like my stomach hit the ground and stayed there. Somehow, intuition took over, and I walked over to the bed and started patting her leg and kept saying, everything was going to be all right. But I knew everything was not all right. And I didn't know if anything was ever going to be all right again. I had no idea what was going to happen next. When Salome arrived, my mom's husband, he was just as shocked as me and Ron. His eyes were wide when he walked in and collapsed in a chair next to her. He didn't speak for some time. Mom seemed to calm down after seeing all three of us in the same room. And the fact that none of us were talking seemed to quiet her as well. I remember she leaned back, closed her eyes, and whimpered. I didn't really understand what was wrong with her. The call from Ron earlier saying she had a stroke did not prepare me for the condition she was in. Did mom really have a stroke? Did, did a stroke do this to people? I thought a stroke left people unable to speak or move. I thought a stroke left people frail and near death. But mom looked physically fine. She was as strong as ever. She got up at one point and used the bathroom without assistance. She even shoved a chair out of her way. I was dumbfounded. After a couple of hours, the doctor showed up and we found out he too assumed mom was an invalid prior to her arrival. He began with her prior conditions. And then he kept saying, well, in a nursing home, this, this is par for the corpse. I stopped him at first statement and said, she's not in a nursing home, but he ignored me. The second and third time he said this, I raised my voice and my brother chimed in. She does not live in a nursing home. She was visiting her old aunt there. The doctor in, indignant or shocked at the interruption stood there and looked at his chart notes. He frowned and stated, well, it says here. Before I allowed him to continue, I stated, she lives three hours away with her husband and gestured towards Salome. The doctor bobbed his head in Salome's direction and asked, well, well, how did she get here? How did she get to Medford? My mouth dropped open. This doctor still thought mom was an invalid prior to this event. I said, she drove herself. Mom was perfectly fine this morning. I know she was because we spoke this morning about her trip to see Aunt Lucille today. The doctor frowned, made a few grunts, hemmed and hawed, and then said, she had a stroke and left the room. At that moment, I realized that in my mom's case, this is what a stroke looked like. 
stroke left my mom physically fine, but verbally, mentally, and emotionally broken. We took mom back to her home a few days later, and we had no idea how to care for her. My 15-year-old daughter, Monet, even asked, What are we going to do with Grandma Ginge? And I simply stated, Love her. At that point, my grief for my mom of who she was was replaced with a nurturing response. I did grieve for mom. I could see her struggle, but I'm a natural caregiver, and my instinct to move past the grief won over my need to wallow in despair. I did cry, but for the sake of my teenager and my mom, I held my tears until alone. What I noticed quickly after the stroke is that mom responded to my care positively and she trusted me. I got her a scholarship to the YMCA and told her she had to attend three times a week. She went. She was able to say, I had stroke right away. And folks in her small community were gracious and patient with her. After a few months, she was able to stop taking her diabetic medicine, including her daily insulin shot. Mom was getting better and better each day. Her overall medications reduced. My brother administered her medications, and I cleaned her house once a week. We both took her on social activities, helped her get books she could read, starting with kinder books, <laughs> then advancing to teen level. She would stay with me and my family over weekends, and she even had her own room at my house. She continued to struggle with her speech, but physically, she was better than ever. Our relationship changed during this time, for the better. Mom seemed to enjoy me more, and I enjoyed Mom's company. She died in February 2013, but in those two and a half years, our relationship shifted. Old wounds healed. This shift is not easy to talk about or write about. Mom died 10 years ago, and I'm still processing this tragedy. I often see the healing that the stroke brought to our relationship. When I think about this, about mom's stroke, Romans 8.28 pops into my mind. Here's the verse. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. I know his purpose is to love. The stroke brought on confusion, frustration, and tears. But we are called to love. Sometimes love is cleaning a kitchen, dispensing medicine, and finding social engagements. Love shows up in different forms. And for me, love is action. Love is doing. For mom, love was trusting. She trusted me and I did my best to treat her right, and that shifted our relationship for the better. Love also showed up in humor on a daily basis in our life. Our laughter was never at mom's expense, rather to show her that good times were being created, even in this time of sorrow. One evening, we were watching Star Trek. Mom loved Star Trek before and after her stroke. We were sitting in the living room with my husband and daughter, and mom got up and said, phase it, I'd be right back. My husband Mark said, what? 
what phase what mom looked at him and scowled phase it <laughs> we then understood phase it then pause the show even today when we want to someone to pause a movie we say phase it another time my daughter and i were making these stuffed animal pigs from a sewing kit all the materials were included along with the instructions even though this was a step-by-step kit our pigs were less than perfect to be honest they were terrible apparently we are not good seamstress mom plopped down at the table and asked what this i told her and she huffed looks like a piece of pig Moni and i bursted out laughing indeed it did look like a piece of pig to this day when something is not working or just plain looks terrible we say that's a piece of pig sharing stories of grandma and there's a lot of good ones has brought healing to all of us having a stroke was awful for mom but i'm so happy we did not let mom wallow in that sorrow i'm so happy that we moved forward in love love healed us mom's stroke was a challenge but love moved us forward in the confusion and unpredictability of life in january 2013 i noticed mom was rather pal I was not overly concerned. It was winter for goodness sakes. But I did mention to my husband that I thought mom should move to our area. She wasn't improving anymore and I could see some decline. For example, I had to now help her with her bills. I made calls to local agencies and over the few days, I was getting more and more stressed about getting mom moved. Her house was messier than ever when I arrived on those Saturdays and she just seemed to be declining mentally. Then on Saturday, February 2nd, mom and I talked in the morning. She wasn't feeling well, and we decided I would clean her house the next day. She was upset that her bedroom was messy and wanted me to take care of everything. I told her I would, and I would see her after church. I received a call from my brother that evening. Mom was in the hospital. I turned off the dinner I was preparing, told the kid to get ready to go. We were pros at getting Togo bags packed quickly. Within five minutes, we were on the road. When we arrived at the hospital, mom had passed away from a heart attack. Her gallbladder had become septic and had, and had affected the rest of her body. When we walked down the hospital hall to mom's room, I assumed she would be sitting up in her hospital bed waiting for us, but no, not this time. Instead, she was resting flat with blankets covering her entire body. Only her face and one hand were perfectly displayed. As soon as we entered the room and saw Ron and the chaplain's face, I knew mom had died. Monet knew as well. I will never forget the howl of grief from my daughter. Her last grandparent had died and she was only 17 years old. Ron took Monet out to the lobby, and I had time with Mom. It was a sad evening, to say the least. We knew Mom was in bad shape, but since her stroke, we could see how her health had been improving. But in reality, she was on 16 different medications and getting sicker and sicker. I can see now, 10 years later, but then in 2013, we were shocked by her death. The next few weeks were full of preparations and getting her service organized. One big blessing is that mom had 
everything planned for her funeral, even the kinds of flowers she wanted. She had a prepaid funeral plan, and the church she intended was incredibly helpful. The pastor who spoke knew mom, knew her well, and the Bible study ladies hosted a lovely reception after the service. There were nearly 120 people who attended mom's service, from nieces and nephews to ex-husbands. Mom was a tough gal, but she had a lot of folks who loved her and would miss her. I knew my daughter would miss her grandmother immensely. There were no grandparents to see her graduate from high school or college now. No papa, no grandma to see her get married. All the milestones would be missed. And this year, as Monet gets married, and we are preparing for the ceremony and reception, this is a glaring reality. Monet has asked that a memorial table be created to show love to all the grandparents. I think this is a lovely idea, and I'm thankful that Monet has such a gentle spirit. They say time heals all wounds, but I say love heals wounds. And love takes on many forms. For my family, love was caregiving. As we close, I offered gratitude. Gratitude for your words shared. I'm thankful for the ways that life brings us challenges, but also the strength and the courage and the patience and the humor that come into play as well. And this time, let's call the mind some person in our life that has been a grounded sense of inspiration, someone who's overcome great struggles and now serves as a beaming light. Today, we offer gratitude for the many faces of love Thank you for devoting time and space to listen to Part 1, Victoria Moran's Story. Stick with us for Part 2, Victoria Moran's Interview. Right here on Beyond Stillness, Stories After Stroke. Each colorful memory creates a parable for life's greater teachings, a compass for journeys ahead, and inspired wisdom for unique growth. In this episode of Beyond Stillness, guest Victoria Moran from River Bend Stroke Program at Peace Health Medical Center shared her story as mother, daughter, and caregiver. She offered insight for the many ways that love shows up throughout the recovery process. If you enjoyed this moment of pause for storytelling and reflection, please like share, or subscribe to Beyond Stillness, Stories After Stroke podcast. Again, thanks for listening. And remember, as part of the stroke community, you are more than supportive. You are inspirational. 
I'm your host, Molly Bucola.